Welcome back to Steph's Business Bookshelf and this episode about the book The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek. Keep listening to find out why you need to find yourself a worthy rival. You're listening to Steph's Business Bookshelf, doing the reading so you don't have to. Welcome back. And if you're a new listener, welcome. Welcome to our community of bookworms. Each week, I share the three big ideas from the best non-fiction books to do the reading so you don't have to, and to help you, my busy, ambitious friend, learn while you commute. This week, talking about Simon Sinek's new book, The Infinite Game, came out at the end of 2019. And I'm going to be honest, I've kind of procrastinated about reading it. I love the concept. I love the idea. Like most of Simon's work, I agree with a lot of the things he says. Not always all of them, but one of the things I don't love is his books. I'm not a big fan of Simon Sinek's books, I'm going to admit. This book changed that. But that's the reason I put off reading it for a little while. But I'm so glad I did. I actually gave it five stars. Now, I know this podcast, I don't tend to do reviews, but I do like to share if I've enjoyed a book or not. And I gave this one five stars on Goodreads, not just because the idea is fantastic and I I love it. And I think it's systemic of everything that is wrong in most organizations, countries, cultures, societies, families, you name it. But the book itself was actually really well written, really easy to read, kind of fun to read too. There was lots of little funny bits that made me chuckle while I was reading it. And it was quite punchy, which is the thing I don't find usually with Simon's writing. A little bit about the author. If you've been living under a rock for the last few years and you don't know who Simon Sinek is, Simon is an unshakable optimist who believes in a bright future and our ability to build it together. Described as a visionary thinker with a rare intellect, Simon teaches leaders and organisations how to inspire people. With a bold goal to help build a world in which the vast majority of people wake up every single day, feel safe at work, and feel fulfilled at the end of the day, Simon is leading a movement to inspire people to do the things that inspire them. He's the author of multiple best-selling books, including Start With Why, Leaders Eat Last, Together Is Better, Find Your Why, and The Infinite Game. That's taken from simonsinic.com. There's quite a lot of different videos and things on there. I've popped a link to that in the show notes. So a little bit more about this book before we dive into the three big ideas. In finite games, like football or chess, the players are known, the rules are fixed, and the end point is clear. The winners and losers are easily identified. In infinite games, like business or politics or life itself, the players come and go, the rules are changeable, and there is no defined end point. There are no winners or losers in an infinite game. There is only ahead and behind. The more Simon started to understand the difference between finite and infinite games, the more he began to see the infinite games all around us. He started to see that many of the struggles that organisations face exist simply because their leaders were playing with a finite mindset in an infinite game. These organisations tended to lag behind in innovation, discretionary effort, morale and ultimately performance. The leaders who embrace an infinite mindset in stark contrast build stronger, more innovative and more inspiring organisations. Their people trust each other and their leaders. They have the resilience to thrive in an ever-changing world, while their competitors fall by the wayside. Ultimately, they are the ones who lead the rest of us into the future. Simon now believes that the ability to adopt in an infinite mindset is a prerequisite for any leader who aspires to leave their organization in a better shape than they found it. Again, taken from simonsinic.com, link in the show notes. 
I've also included a link in the show notes to Simon talking more about the Infinite Game and its impact and its relationship to company culture on the Culture Amp Culture First podcast, which is a podcast I also recommend you generally follow along with. There's a link to that in the show notes. And if you haven't already joined the 48 million plus other people who have watched Simon's famous Golden Circle or the Why TED Talk, there's a link to that in the show notes too. Now, one of the big things before we go into the big ideas, one of the overarching concepts is that with a finite game, you're playing to win rather than lose. In an infinite game, you're playing to stay in the game. So this is one of the most important overarching concepts. It's not one of the big ideas that I've pulled out because it's just such a pervasive and important concept overall to to overarch all of these big ideas. But that's the thing you need to know. With an infinite game, we're playing to stay in the game. That's the end point. That there is no end point. You're playing to keep playing. All right, with all of that, let's get into the three big ideas that I took from the book, The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek. Number one, you need to have a just cause. This is different to your purpose. And it took me a little while and I found it a little bit abstract at first to work out what is the difference between your why or your purpose, which Simon is obviously very famous for coining that in the modern vernacular in most companies. Yeah, a lot of them are talking about purpose now and being purpose first and having their why, both individuals, teams, and also the actual company itself. But now he's talking about a just cause. And when I read that, I was like, oh, Simon, we've all just worked out our why and our purpose. Do we now need to work out our just cause too? Is this different? Anyway, yes, it is. And I actually found a better answer on his Facebook page, funnily enough, than on in his book around the difference between a why and a just cause. And on his Facebook page, he says that your why is who you are and your just cause is your vision for the future. So I really like that as a really simple description. Your why is who you are and your just cause is your vision for the future. There's five rules to take into account when finding or defining your just cause. Number one is it must be for something. Kind of makes sense. Number two, it must be inclusive. Number three, it must be service oriented. So it must be for someone else. Number four, it must be resilient or future proof so that a change in leadership or government or some kind of economical status shouldn't change it. And number five, it should be idealistic or it should be unachievable. So this is different to a BHAG, which is very timely given the last couple of weeks we've talked about Jim Collins' books. So a BHAG or a big, hairy, audacious goal is generally more finite. So you would maybe achieve that big, hairy, audacious goal and then move on to a new one. Now, other places or other people might know that as your moonshot. You could still achieve it. And once you've done it, you then go and decide a new one or create a new BHAG or a new moonshot. And then you tick that one off and then you move on to the next one whereas your just cause is almost exclusively unachievable so it means that things like growth or being the best do not equal just cause because it doesn't tick many of those boxes it's generally not idealistic because potentially you could achieve those things and it's also probably not very service oriented other than just for yourself it also means that your corporate social responsibility priorities or activities are not your just cause. They're just good things to do to raise money or to fund something in some way. The best example of something that was a just cause or is a just cause was from Sam Walton, who is the founder of Walmart. 
And his just cause or the thing that he stood for or the thing that he thought Walmart stood for was having the lowest prices anytime, anywhere. And if we work together, we'll lower the cost of living for everyone. It's something that is infinite, that will continue to be relevant and will continue to continue, regardless of what happens elsewhere. Those things will never almost be met, but should always keep you striving towards them. So that's big idea number one, the need for a just cause. Big idea number two is your need for a worthy rival. There's a interesting example, quite a funny example in the book about Simon's worthy rival. And he talks at first and he doesn't mention who it is for the first few pages. And I definitely found myself flicking forward to try and see if this mysterious person was, was identified. And they are. But he talks about how this person, he would always see the person's books and see where they were in the charts and feel sad if they were ahead of his. Or look at where that person was speaking and doing various speaking engagements and feel a bit bad if that person was getting better gigs than he was. And then one day he was actually on the same panel as this particular person. And the host of the panel thought it would be fun to get Simon and the other person to introduce each other. And when it came to it, Simon went to introduce the other person and essentially said that this person makes me uncomfortable because he has all of the strengths that I don't have. And then the audience laughed. And then the other person who is Adam Grant, who is one of my favorite authors and thinkers on organizational culture and design turned to Simon and said that's funny because I feel the same way about you you have all the strengths that I don't have so they had this kind of obviously this little romance thing going on but also they saw each other as a worthy rival and worthy rivals keep you honest and keep you striving it doesn't make you want to cheat it actually has the opposite effect because you want to stay in the game they make you strive to be better so that you can catch up or so that you can do things in a better way and improve. Because if you cheat, that's not actually fine. You've not actually, you've not won, you've lost because you're still, you still suck. You had to cheat to get to that level or to beat the person. That's quite finite thinking. This is thinking longer term. So there is something interesting in the book about how your your worthy rival might be someone that you don't want to be like. And when I say someone, it might be that might be another organization, an industry, a person, what a group of people, whatever that might be. But it might be someone that you don't want to be like, but you need them to stay in the game for you to have that worthy rival and to keep striving. There's a good example, well, several good examples of this in the book. One of them was Alan Mullally, who became the CEO of Ford when Ford were really struggling in, in the US market in particular. And he asked all of their executive when he took over about what cars they drive. And, and they asked him, you know, he sort of shared that he drives a, a Lexus because he thought it was the best car available in that particular price point at that time. And they were all shocked that this new CEO of Ford was saying that the best car of this particular type of car was one made by Toyota, one of their biggest rivals. But it gave them something to strive for. And what he did was he encouraged the other Ford executives to go and test drive all of the Ford cars, but also to go and test drive their rival cars to see which ones do we want to be our worthy rivals? Which ones do we want to strive to improve ourselves so that we can play on the same playing field as these other companies? And don't forget, this is not to beat them. This is to be better. 
sometimes you actually need your worthy rival to be in the market for there to be a market. Apple was a great example with IBM. When IBM came into the personal computer market after Apple did, Apple actually put a full page advert out to say, welcome to the revolution, welcome to this this new era to IBM and to pretty much thank them for stepping into the personal computer market because they knew that having IBM there would make them step up and continue to be different and to think different as they was their motto at the time. But it would also mean that there was a bigger playing field for all of them to play in. So I really love this concept. It's something I've been thinking about ever since reading the book around what is my worthy rival? And what does that look like for speak for the business that I'm part of, but also for me personally. So it's something for you to go and think about. Who is your worthy rival? From big idea number two, find a worthy rival. Finally, big idea number three, finite versus infinite leadership. Simon argues that your CEO or CEO should be the CVO, the chief vision officer. But the problem is that COOs and CFOs are often the ones that are next in line to take the CEO's role. And often COOs, so chief operations officers and CFOs or chief finance officers are great managers, but not great visionaries because their job is to manage the operations, the finance, the running of the company, which doesn't always have a very infinite mindset to it. It's quite short-termist or medium-termist. It's the next financial year, the next quarter, or even maybe sometimes even less the next few weeks or month. So it's really important for an organization to create an environment for the trust and the culture based on doing the right thing. And that means measuring the right things, which sometimes COOs and CFOs aren't always the best at doing. Not always, but as a generalization. He says that culture equals values plus behavior, which is really important because a lot of organizations I work with, they have these values stuck up on the wall and it all looks great and they're all nice and shiny, but they're very much the espoused values rather than what is actually acted on and done in the organization. There's a concept in the book of ethical fading, where when everyone else starts to do things that are a bit questionable, we start to do the same, we start to justify that. And it's a very slippery slope between something, letting something go once or twice, and then all of a sudden everyone's doing it and it becomes a problem. You only have to look at the Haynes Royal Commission report and other examples that have happened even just in Australia recently to see that that is exactly the case. What was rewarded was the wrong behavior. The environment of trust and the culture based on doing the right thing had disappeared in a lot of places and ethical fading was very much the norm what everyone else is doing it it's industry standard which is one of the the favorite points that simon makes in when you're saying that something's okay because it's industry standard or because it's legal ignoring any ethical implication but because it is legal then that makes it okay Speaking of trust and culture and creating an environment where there's open conversation, there's also a concept that the truth shouldn't hurt. There should be the open, safe space to share things that aren't working, to stop those ethical fadings or those slide, slippery slopes towards things that really aren't okay happening. And again, coming back to Alan Mullally at Ford, when he took over, he was running these business update meetings with his executive and everyone kept telling him and turning up with their traffic light 
slide decks and saying no everything's great in my department yep all green here no no issues here nothing to see here don't you know go and look over there so no one would admit that things were, were going wrong and you know at first he started just saying you know everyone you should be able to share you know and started saying or kept repeating that they needed to work together they needed to be able to share when things were wrong and creating that safe space but still people would come to this meeting every month or every week and say yep no everything's fine here green 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 and all of their little dashboards and finally in frustration he slammed his hands on the table and said we're losing millions of dollars a day here is anything not going well now immediately nothing changed but within a couple of weeks one of the executive came in and had a red on their dashboard and this guy thought he was going to lose his job over this but he said this thing in my department is not working or there is a problem and Alan as the CEO he would reiterate these things by saying you have a problem you are not the problem so to separate the person from the problem now the next week this person came back and they still had some red things on their on their dashboard no one else did no one else had followed the lead everyone else was waiting to see if that person still had a job and a lot of them apparently were pretty surprised that that person came back to the meeting the following week still with their job so that showed that over time they could start to actually be a bit more open and honest so after that a few more people started to get involved and say oh, actually no this is a problem or this is happening over here and alan would be very excited and would say right great how are we going to fix this problem who can help this person with their problem and over time create an environment where things started to get better because the truth didn't hurt and they could have the conversations that they needed and there's an interesting point in the book that's on this story where he says if people think especially at these kind of executive levels sometimes that emotions have no place in business or in the boardroom or in the around the executive table or whatever it is these were all very experienced very senior people who were too scared to say what was really happening that is an emotion so whether you believe or not or feel that emotions have no place at the in business or at work they are there and they are happening and this is where finite versus infinite leadership comes in because to be an infinite leader and to lead infinitely you need to challenge what's happening already you need to stop that ethical failure you need to create the environment where people can people can share what's happening and you can all continue to stay in the game because it is a road to game over very quickly with taking a finite mindset and therefore actions and behaviors so there we go that was big idea number 3 the call to courage on finite versus infinite leadership Borrowed a little Brené Brown phrase there as well. Go, go, go. We're just putting all the minds together today. So to recap, the three big ideas from the book Infinite Game by Simon Sinek. Number 1, have a just cause. Number 2, find a worthy rival. And number 3, finite versus infinite leadership. If you've read this book already, let me know. I'd love to hear from you. Links to all my contact details as usual are in the show notes. But otherwise, Until next time, happy reading.